Thank you to Bo for a wonderful introduction. And uh, before I read our um, passage and pray, I just want to um, ask you a question. What's the worst thing that could happen? It's a very risky question to ask. It's usually the kind of thing we say in good humor, like the time this middle-aged woman who's a neighbor of mine uh, pointed her sled toward an icy ramp and said, oh, what's the worst that could happen? Um, that really did happen. The worst thing did not happen, but she certainly felt it the next day for a few months after that. But if I were to ask you seriously, your own self from two and a half years ago, what's the worst that could happen? Would you have allowed yourself to imagine some of the things we've experienced in the past two and a half years? A global pandemic, um, maybe in your case, a total change in your life, professionally or otherwise? Um, the loss of someone you love, you didn't see coming. Maybe a, a really harrowing summer of violence and race riots and race reckoning and that went along with that in 2020. What about an, a violent uh, overtaking of the halls of Congress? Could any of us imagine that? Would we have wanted to? What's the worst that could happen? A good old fashioned war of aggression in, in Ukraine? or maybe a d disruption in relationships because of all the above. None of us wanted to imagine that. And none of us this morning really want to face the worst case scenario of our lives. And so that's what I'm titling my, my sermon, which is, what's the worst that can happen? And we're gonna see a passage here um, in John 5, where I'll be reading verses one through 18, that kind of gets at that idea, and you'll see why in a moment. In fact, there's two things I want you to look for as I read this passage. One is the worst thing that can happen, and then there's another question that Jesus asked someone, and both of these are shockers. If you're paying attention, they're gonna affect you, these two, these two statements, and I want you to look for those. So I'm reading in John 5, starting in verse one. After this was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool. When the water is stirred up, and while I'm going, another steps in before me. Jesus said to him, get up. Take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed. And he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? 
Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn. And there was a crowd in its place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple, said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This is the word of God. Please, amen. Please pray with me. Our God, we come to you, and we thank you so much for John's gospel. For many of us, the stories, the images, uh, the words, the sermons of Jesus have really brought us to faith. And so we pray you'd strengthen our faith or bring us to faith, um, even as we reflect on these words this morning. Help me as a preacher to preach you and you alone and stand out of the way with your Holy Spirit to work through me, but also in the audience who would listen. We thank you that you're here with us and you're going to do that. And we wait in anticipation for what you'll, what you'll do. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. So did you pick up on those two statements of Jesus that were pretty shocking? Obviously, the one was when he finds this guy that he heals later and says, yo, this is great. You know, you're, you're feeling good. You're better. Sin no more. Unless something worse will happen to you. It's kind of a shocker. It seems kind of brusque. And then the other one you probably picked up on is when he comes to the guy who's been sick for 38 years and says, do you want to be made well? And why wouldn't he? Again, it just seems kind of bizarre that he would say this. <clears throat> um, but anyway, back to the second one, the worst case scenario situation. Um, you know, he says to him, sin no more, something worse would happen. Did Jesus really believe something worse could happen to this guy? Besides being immobilized for 38 years? Did, did John think that when he wrote this, that it would be something worse? I mean, you and I, I, I can't imagine anything much worse than that. But according to John, according to Jesus, there's, there's things that could be just as bad, if not worse. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. And I think that John, he crafted this story um, just to show the kinds of things that are worse than being laid up for 38 years. Puts this man's pathetic situation, which it is pathetic, and it is sad, puts it in perspective. And there's something about, the first thing we notice here in this passage is that, yes, there are, there are dying bodies. There are dying bodies in this room. There are dying bodies in the world. And this man, his unhealed body, kind of, it represents death for us. It's a vivid picture where we're all headed. I hate to say it. Like one of my professors said, you know, I'm, you know, we're all, we're all dying. I'm just getting there quicker because I'm in my 70s. And we laughed, but we knew it was true. Some of us find ourselves feeling the weight of that today. The weight of living in a world of decay and entropy and vanity and the unraveling of things. It's just part of creation, a fallen uh, humanity and the body that we live in. 
Some of you are feeling the weight of that, and I'm, I'm sorry for that. In your own sickness or displacement, a looming death of, of someone you love. That's just the reality we live in. Two and a half years ago, my good friends who live in Lancaster, dear friends of ours, we vacationed with them, and um, they had just taken a vacation to Italy, they came home, and not a week or two before the pandemic, our friend's wife, Leslie, was diagnosed with breast cancer. It was operable and looked like it was gonna be a, a, a tough year. Um, COVID was looming, but they found other cancer. And so a woman in her early 50s fighting to this day with melanoma and in remission for a time, got through COVID, couldn't imagine how she's gonna get through that, she did. And then just in the last couple weeks, more spots, more radiation. It's a really harrowing prognosis. Others of us this morning feeling pretty good. We're not feeling that weight, to be honest. We're, we're post-COVID, we're ready to party, we're feeling pretty healthy. We don't, and we don't want to imagine or think too much about the worst case scenario. Our own death, but it's coming. And what I love about the gospel, the reason I'm a Christian, what I love about Christianity, is it deals with this really openly. This is our sacred book, and look where it goes, right to the worst case scenario, through and through. It's realism, it's hope. This is precisely why the good news is good news. If John's testimony is true, then the hope we have as Christians is maybe he'll heal us. Maybe he'll fully restore my friend Leslie. I hope to God he will. But I do know that in Christ Jesus, she will be raised up. And everyone who puts their trust in him will be raised up to new life. Real bodily hope in the midst of worst case scenario. And maybe some of you have experienced what this guy experienced and you came close to death, or maybe you've been ill and you've been healed and you feel like you're living on borrowed time. You know, no, it's gifted time. And it's all gifted time for all of us. So dying bodies, is this the worst that can happen? Losing our functioning, shedding our mortality to die? Apparently not to Jesus, not the worst thing that can happen. Or to John. There's something else going on here. Look at verse 7, if you're in, your, if you're in the text. And this is, uh, besides dying bodies, there's a lot of hopeless superstition going on. So there was a legend. We don't think John believed this. But there was a legend, and some early manuscripts attest to this, in John, that an angel would come to this pool and would stir the waters. And get this. This is very competitive, very American. The first one in <laughs> gets healed. And this poor dude, he'd been trying for 38 years. It's pathetic. It's humorous if it weren't so really pathetic. And you know, the, this, this lottery ticket, this, this um, golden ticket he's shooting for is so sketchy, right? It doesn't make any sense. Yet people keep going back. They keep going back and hoping in this this windfall of healing from an angel. 
The lost sheep of Israel, these dear, pathetic people, they deserve better than this. They pinned their hopes on this angel's finger, but they had their God in their midst, God their Father in their midst. Where were his friends? Why didn't he have any friends? Talk about pathetic. He had the wrong kind of friends to keep lowering him into the pool if they were there. Why wouldn't they take him to the priests? The pri- they had, in Israel, they had ways to help people who were this sick by praying for them, anointing them, caring for them, and superstition won out. And Jesus does not want this guy to go back to the pool, to fall into the lunacy of, of superstition. Hopeless superstition would be worse than getting sick again. So we got a bunch of dying bodies. Jesus is walking right in the midst of it. A bunch of hopeless superstition. You know what's even worse than that? It's what you see in these leaders. You know, the first half of this story is great. Guy's healed, and then John's sure to give us the second part because he has to tell us about the Jews, which doesn't mean your Jewish neighbor per se. It means these leaders who are Jewish and were against Christ as Messiah constantly doing battle with them. And again, it's, it's humorous. It's, it's hilarious that they accuse this guy of being healed on the Sabbath if it weren't so absolutely tragic. So worse than superstition is religious arrogance. In the walls of Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, there was this pool, Bethesda. It means house of mercy. House of mercy. And think about this. The Jews are they're in Jerusalem to celebrate for a feast. This was God's intention all along for his people to party together to celebrate his goodness, his mercy. Renew covenant relationship with God, with each other, to be a light to the Gentiles who are watching and, geez, I want a part of that. But instead, it's corruption everywhere. It's superstition, but worse than that, it's religious arrogance. These morally uptight leaders, they're gonna, they, they've walked by this guy probably numerous times like he's a, a dumpster on the back of Wendy's. But Jesus notices him. And worse than that, they're spiritual abusers. You know what that is, right? This happens today, and this is something that's in the news just this morning. Churches coming to grips with this, coming to repent about these things, that we oftentimes house these kind of leaders. In my row house forums, we're actually doing a talk next spring on this idea of spiritual abuse cloaked in the words and in the culture of Christianity, even evangelical faith, but wolves in sheep's clothing always gaslighting, always making others look bad, pinning judgment on on the weak, denying the dignity to those who might question them, and using their position to dominate others rather than serve. It still goes on. Jesus walks right into the middle of it and judges it. And shows the real way to lead and serve other people. 
And he noticed this guy. See, this religious arrogance that was allowing this, this systemic sin, that was allowing this kind of stuff to go on, was right under the nose in Jerusalem, championed by the religious leaders. It's worse than superstition. It's worth, worse than the death of, our, death of our bodies. That kind of spiritual arrogance and self-righteousness. It's a cancer. It eats away and really messes with the religious community. And it's the reason why a lot of people are turned off to the institution of us, the church. We can tolerate it so easily. But listen to what John says. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time, he said to him, do you want to get well? Again, it seems like a weird thing to ask someone on the skids, but, you know, he wanted to hear from him. He knew that this guy was looking for healing in all the wrong places. So Jesus does what he came to do. He enters in. As a son of God, as a son of man, he's able to heal, and so he's glad to do it. And then he says the really weird thing, go on, go on your way, sin no more, lest something worse will happen to you. And I can picture this guy because of his gratitude. I think John, we don't know, but I can imagine John saying, you know, this guy was grateful and he didn't go back to the pool. If he went back, he went to grab some friends and get him out of there, take him to the priest, take him to the living God, living a grateful life, serving the Lord. Now we don't, as Christians, as a church, I hope you can see, this is our mission in the world, in Christ. We don't have the exact same toolbox as him, individually, but as a church we do. He's given us his mission. The kingdom is the same mission and same power of the Holy Spirit, which we attested to this morning. Um, individually, we may play this out differently, but as a church, same mission of restoration of people through the good news and serving people in word and deed. We do what we can with what we have, like your church is, is attempting to do, which is great to see. Uh, one of our speakers at the Row House uh, back in the fall <clears throat> was a, a public theologian. Uh, her name is Ann Snyder. Her, her husband is uh, David Brooks. And uh, she writes about a professor that she um, knew about at Columbia University. And this was during the, the pandemic. And this professor, I don't know if he's a Christian or not, um, but he volunteered as a patient intake registrar for this big COVID clinic in Manhattan. And this gets at the whole social aspect of what I'm, how I'm trying to apply this. And so we as a church were on this mission together. This is what this guy said. <clears throat> what I discovered was a, a deep well of solidarity springing up here in my own community to nourish me. I didn't know I had been in the desert. The eagerness of our mostly elderly patients the compassion of the medical and support staff, and the dedication of my fellow volunteers, all these blend into an atmosphere of hope. 
and the renewal of life. As the ancient philosophers continually emphasize, the virtues only get their meaning from their social use. And the professor also said, what we need is collective and individual wisdom, the imagination to see ourselves as creatures who are vulnerable and called on to act in the face of this shared vulnerability. We're vulnerable people. We need the gospel. Our bodies are dying. But we're also called in this world, in word and deed, to proclaim the kingdom and do his work. Our society, if you haven't noticed, is racked by culture wars, needless squabbles, some of them very mean. We need to be who we really are as believers. Fellow vulnerable creatures, healed invalids, grateful disciples. And we step in, as Jesus stepped in, we step into this world of fallenness, the decaying of bodies and all the superstition and wild things that people believe, searching for love and meaning in all the wrong places. We walk through this and all the spiritual and religious abuse. We enter in to offer true worship, true service, and true healing to people in the name of Christ. And what's the worst that could happen? My, uh, my grandmother was in a nursing home in Lewisburg, Pennsylvania. Um, we would take our young girls to visit her, and none of us wanted to go. We don't often want to go to the places that Jesus wants to take us. But we would go. <clears throat> and every day there was this man. We'd visit Grandma, and there was always this guy, like, floating around. I think of him, like, if you read... Um, Fantasy, Tolkien. It's like Tom Bombadil, one of those characters that just kind of floats in and out. Oh, I hope that reference landed on somebody. But anyway, this guy would just flit around the nursing home and he'd be helping the kitchen staff and he would visit people and he was in bare feet. And his name was Basil, of all things. <laughs> he was very aromatic in the sense of he just had this aroma of just joy and grace and, and gratitude and healing. So we asked who he was, and one of the nurses said that his wife had been a patient there, and she had died, and he just continued to come back. And I thought, what a picture of someone who's facing the worst case. The worst thing that could happen, his wife is gonna pass away. But at that point, he's been through it all. Worst is already behind him. And all that's left is love. All that's left is entering in, I don't know if he's a believer or not, but he sure was a picture of what Christ is in this passage and who we are in the world. You know, we really haven't considered the worst, worst case scenario yet. Beyond our dying bodies, the hopeless superstition in our world and religious arrogance, whatever. Um, here's the worst thing that could happen is that Jesus would have never even noticed this guy. I took the time to pull him up, put him on a new path. John wouldn't have written it down for us for 2,000 years to glory in this great story. Or Jesus wouldn't have had the joy of restoring you and me.
He would have been denied the opportunity to have you because he wants you. But none of that is none of that worst case stuff is true. He's alive and well today. He's still restoring people. He's still building his community in places like this town and in his church all around the world throughout history. And he's calling flawed people like you and me, wayward people, arrogant people even, to be a part of his mission. So if you don't know him personally and you're not sure, just come to him. Treat him like a person. Talk to him. Talk to someone who knows him. Come along for the ride. Put your trust in Jesus this morning. Look to him for the first time or the the hundredth time. That's what the Christian life is. We're following him. Because here's the thing. Jesus not only showed us the way, this passage is a really good picture of it. He not only showed us the way, but he made a way. He made a way. As you know the Gospels, they spent a lot of time on his death, on the way that he takes all these sins, all this crap, really, that he encounters in humanity. He cloaks himself with it at the cross. He takes it all on. And as Paul says, he makes a spectacle of it, of evil, of sin, of death. He makes a spectacle of it at his cross and reconciles all things through himself. That's where he's headed. That's what makes it possible for him to renew you. So let's follow him and be a part of his restoration project here in Kennet or wherever we are. And I just want to conclude by saying I just love this story in John 5 because it paints that picture, doesn't it, of how God so loved the world that he sent, he gave his only son so that the worst thing can never touch us. In fact, in Christ, the best is yet to come. Can I get an amen? Please pray with me. Jesus, we thank you that you are alive and well and pleased to have us, to notice us, to draw us up, restore us, and make us instruments of restoration. Lord, come, and we don't feel worthy of this. We know we often fail. Renew our hope in your ability to do this and send us out today um, in your strength. In your name we pray, amen.